West Bowles, Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us here in person. If it is your first time here, don't worry, me too. They just gave me a microphone and said, get up there. I'm kidding. My name is Nathan. I get the privilege of getting to be pastor here at West Bowles. And if you're joining us online, thank you. We recognize you could click and be in any other church at a moment's notice, but uh, we have your IP address. So if you do, we will chase you and, and drag you back. So anyhow. Well, in the first of three letters to the church that we have that a man named John wrote, he wrote what is on the screen behind me. See what great love the Father has, and the word is lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. That word lavish, I mean, there are different interpretations. Some say bestowed on us. Some say has given to us. Some say has poured out on us. But lavished has captured my attention recently as I read this because lavished gets at something. It talks about this, it's related to an endowment, something so massive, so boundless, so abundant that God has unleashed into our lives. And the reason, the reason this has captured me is because if you were here Sunday, I stood here and I told you guys about the very responsible husband thing I did. I started working on a Christmas gift for Kara in November, not like late November, like early November, okay? And so I ordered this package and a week went by and it wasn't here thought, no big deal. We got till Christmas. And then two weeks went by, no big deal. We've got till Christmas. Three weeks went by. And I decided, let's, let's pull up the tracking on this package and see where it's at. And sure enough, it was caught in Connecticut. And it's been amazing to hear how many people have packages right now caught in Connecticut or Kansas City. It just, it just, it's a thing, I guess, this year. But I remember thinking, okay, still got time. Where do you think this package was as of last Saturday? Connecticut. Connecticut. <laughs> yeah, I wish Kansas City. So I'm freaking out. And obviously I stood up here Sunday and I said, listen, pray for my physical safety because this is a gift from my wife. And if it doesn't get here, I'm in some trouble. Well, I went home Sunday after telling you about that. And package still shows in Connecticut. Guess what happened Monday morning? Doorbell rings, I open the door and there is a package and I recognize the shipping address where it came from. It was her package, it had been delivered. And I, and I sat here and I went, okay, I, I feel like dancing right now. But first I went out on the driveway and I had a very honest vocal conversation with God that went like this. You are showing off right now. You are a show off. You knew this was gonna happen. You knew that everything was fine. You knew every single detail and you let me fret and you let me worry and you let me doubt and you knew. And there was no lightning bolt that came out of the sky or anything like that. Instead, there was a conviction that hit me square in the heart because this is what the Holy Spirit does. And here's, here's what this conviction was. Nathan, I did know. And you should know. You should know who you're dealing with. We have a lavish, lavish God. 
Now, you'd think that would have been enough to plant that in my heart, but hours later, I am standing on our driveway watching for that thing that many of us heard about in the news last week. They, they think that it could have been the star of Bethlehem where Jupiter and Saturn aligned. And so I'm out there on the driveway with the kids before we go somewhere and my wife, and we look in at the Southwest sky and here is this, here is this alignment of these two planets. And guess what I did? Guess what I caught myself doing? Pulling out a screen and holding it up. Now, have you, ever, have you ever gone back and looked at the pictures you take when you take a picture of the sky? It's so sad. I mean, it was so inspiring when you saw it in real time. And then you go back and you're like, what, what was I thinking? Why, why did I take this picture? I couldn't even find anything when I went back and looked at the picture. But isn't this what we do? God could be doing something right in front of us that's just so extraordinary. You know what we'll do? We'll put a screen up. And we'll watch it through a screen. See, this is what sin has done to us, is a human race. It's put something between us and him. And somewhere along the line, lavish leaves our picture of who God is. Lavish leaves the picture of who God is. And so with that in mind, I want to take you to another passage that was written by this exact same author who used the word lavish, a man named John. And I want to take you to this passage that you know, you've memorized, you've heard, you've recited, you've maybe taught about it. It's that, that famous passage, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It is perhaps the most Christmas-centric passage we could have in front of us right now. Let me explain. I just want to walk through John 3.16, but I want to walk through it through the lens of lavish. Because too often we put a screen up and lavish leaves the picture. It starts like this, for God. And two words in, we've already got to stop. Because isn't it true you've got a picture of God that enters your mind when you get to for God? We've been talking about it this last month. Maybe you see God as unapproachable. Ryan Long, he, he preached a month ago on this. That we can see him as unapproachable, that God, you're so holy and I'm so not. So that means you're so distant that I can't even get to you. And what was this lavish God's response? to the idea that he's unapproachable. He shows up at Christmas as a baby. I mean, what's more approachable? What's more vulnerable? What's more embraceable than a baby? For you, maybe it's not unapproachable. Maybe as you've looked at 2020, the global situation, the national, the local, the personal situations that you're walking through, maybe to you, he seems incapable. He's an incapable God. Like, God, do you see us walking through this? Can you do anything about this? And we're reminded in the Christmas narrative, he shows up in the life of a man named Zechariah and a, and a young girl named Mary. And in these circumstances that looked so impossible and he could have looked so incapable, he shows up with an encounter. That's a lavish God. Maybe your picture of him is unreasonable as in unfair, because as you look to people to your left and right, they seem to have things that you don't have, or maybe you have to carry things that they don't have to carry. And it just doesn't seem fair. 
And he seems so unreasonable. And the reason that we think that is because we look at it through human standards. We have a very human-centric view of who he is. And yet as we looked at, at the Christmas narrative involving Jesus' earthly dad, Joseph, we're reminded that God went better than fair. For God to have gone fair by God's standards would mean all of us are worthy of death. So God went beyond that. He was unfair in our favor. And he went with faithful. Or maybe for you, as we talked about Sunday, your picture is unreliable, God, because you got this list of not yet that just haven't happened yet. As we looked at the life of Simeon in the Christmas story, and he's been waiting and waiting and waiting. And all of life could have felt like a not yet, but because he believed in the promise God gave him, Simeon could walk the not yets of this world and this life with an already here assurance. You know what that is? That is a lavish God who responds to all of our pictures of him, our human pictures. A man named Charles Spurgeon said it this way, for the finite human brain to try to comprehend all that God is, you might as well be a gnat trying to drink the ocean. He's that lavish. John 3.16 continues, for God, a lavish giver, so loved. And it's easy to camp out on loved, and we could all day long. But I've been caught up recently in all these little magnifiers in scripture. If you go through, it's not loved, it's so loved. There's a measure to that love. I mean, as I go back to Psalm 46, many, many people have, it's like a life verse in there. Be still and know that I am God. But in the middle of Psalm 46, there is this, there's this passage that says this. He is, when we're in danger, he is a present help. But he doesn't just say a present help in danger. He, there's a magnifier. He says he's a very present help. You get to Joel chapter two, and things have gotten bad for God's people. And God is calling them to return to him and he says, now return to me, except he doesn't just say now. There's a magnifier, there's an amplifier on it. He says, even now, even though it looks like you can't come back, even though you don't think you can come back, even now. And so here we are in John chapter three, and it's not loved, it's so loved. God so loved. It reminds me of the time I was in fourth grade and it was the last time I remember two ladies were after the heart of little Nathan Harrison. And your laughter offends me right now, but it was Amber and Michelle. I still remember it. They were in my fourth grade class at Dutch Creek Elementary School. And Amber, Amber was everything I wanted as a fourth grade boy. I was so attracted to her and Amber had a check the box yes kind of love. Children of the eighties, you remember this? We passed notes and we drew out boxes. Do you love me? Check yes or no. So one day I get a note from Amber. It's been passed down like seven of my friends to me. And I checked yes, sent it back to Amber. And what I discovered in the ensuing days is Amber also had like a, a distance kind of love. As in like at recess, she didn't want to run around with me. See, I'd be playing football out in the field and she was playing tetherball with her friends. And I'm not sure in that entire relationship we ever got closer than 50 yards. It was just a smile and a wave. Meanwhile, Michelle wasn't attracted to Michelle at all, but Michelle had a different kind of love. See, Michelle had the kind of love that I'd show up at school one day and there was a stuffed animal on my chair and the whole class knew who it was from. 
And I turned beet red, threw the stuffed animal on the floor. Oh, don't judge me. I was in fourth grade. <laughs> Just trying to tie your shoes at that age. Anyhow. And then we'd get to lunch. And she wanted to sit with me and my friends, but we were a boy's table. I mean, we're a boy's table. Michelle, you can't sit here. And I don't want to sit with you anyway. And so she sat at a nearby table and stared. Because I was the man in fourth grade, okay? <laughs> Got to recess. She wanted to play football with me and my friends. We said no. She sat on the sideline and cheered every time I made a play. See, Amber loved, but Michelle so loved. I went out with Amber, just so you know, all right? But can you imagine a lavish giver, a lavish measure of love? And then John 3.16 continues, for God so loved the world. Do we understand the magnitude of what we say when we say the world? I would guess maybe we don't. I would guess that if you're like me, your horizons have been expanded, especially this year, the world. See, oftentimes when we picture the world, isn't it true? We picture like our people, people that maybe look, think, act, believe like us, or maybe could get there. We maybe picture our, our slice of Littleton or wherever you're from, but the world. See, it's a love that's lavish in its reach. It's a love that reaches people in countries that we may not even know exist. It's a love that reaches the most liberal of Democrats, the most conservative of Republicans, and everyone in between. Kansas City Chiefs fans, <laughs> Raiders fans, and dare I say it, Ohio State fans. That's rough. That is rough on, for me. It's lavish in its reach. For God so loved the world, but we say the world like we understand it. I once heard someone say that saying we understand the reach of God's love is like saying we've looked at space with all that it contains and we think we know it by saying twinkle, twinkle, little star. I mean, it's a great summary, but it reaches about that far. John 3.16 continues, for God so loved the world that he gave. Can you hear the lavish act that he gave? See, immediately this puts us in a position. If he gave, it puts us in position to receive. And this is the difficulty for many of us because we say we like to get, but isn't it true if you got a Christmas card from somebody and you didn't have one back for them? you'd immediately turn into, no, I need to give, I need to give. If somebody gave you a Christmas present and you didn't have one for them, you'd immediately begin to feel, I need to give, I need to give. Truth is, we're just not very good at receiving. It is a difficult thing to do. We know a verse like, love your neighbor as yourself, and we, we focus in on love your neighbor. But in order to truly love our neighbor well, we have to have received God's love for us. It's difficult. A lot of times we turn into Peter on the final night of Jesus' life. Remember, he's going around the table. He's washing the feet of these disciples who would abandon him. They would betray him. They would deny him. And what does Peter say? Not me. I don't need it. 
is a very lavish act from a lavish God to give. And it continues that he gave. And this next part should cause us to pause. His one and only son. I mean, this is the God who made all the rules, however that worked. This is the God who has everything, lacks nothing. He could have looked around. It could have been a mountain range he gave. He could have given the deepest ocean, any number of animals. And yet when he looked at what sin has done to the human heart, he said, what possible thing could be sacrificed that measures up to what sin has done to the human heart and soul? And he looked around and he said, only the holy, perfect son of God would suffice. And so he gave his one and only son. Now, I used to read this all the time, but guess what happened recently? I started thinking about what I must have done to my wife's parents when she was 18 years old, she was my girlfriend, and I showed up at their door asking if I could marry her. And her dad's answer, and this is another story for another time, but her dad's answer was, sure you can, in 10 years. <laughs> and I always thought that was funny, but now I'm looking at our kids. We've got a 13-year-old daughter. That every day I look at her and I just go, she is beautiful. And we've got a nine-year-old daughter that I look at her and I think she is beautiful. And we've got a seven-year-old son and I look at him and I think he is beautiful oh my goodness, what did I do to her parents? The day I showed up and said, can I have your daughter? What must have been going on in the heart of the father when he said, I will give my one and only son? I mean, I cannot fathom a boy showing up at our door asking for one of our daughter's hands in marriage. I suspect a girl's gonna show up at our door asking for our son's hand in marriage. It happened last year in kindergarten twice. <laughs> but they gotta get through Kara, so it's gonna be a while. It's a lavish gift of love. The verse continues. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And then there's this word that whoever Whoever, could we stop there for a minute? Whoever, do we get whoever? I don't know that we do because we live in this culture and society where it's all about our qualifications. I wanna check your credit score. Let's check your degree, your credentials, your experience. You know, what's your Enneagram profile say or whatever the personality profile is at the moment. And yet God looked at us and he said, whoever, whoever. Do you get that? Anybody. I, I was blown away recently at what Jefferson County Public Schools did. You know, they, they went back in person for school for a while. You know what they did? They sent out an email and said, you know what? We are gonna offer free lunch to whoever chooses to have it. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, is this like a free and reduced lunch thing? They've got a program for that and it, it's incredible. And the answer I got back when I inquired about it, anybody. Whoever. Wow. Then they go back to remote learning. You know what Jefferson County Public Schools did? They set up a few different schools that twice a week, you can go in and pick up food, like breakfast and lunches for your kids that they would have been having if they were learning in person. Well, who qualifies for that? Anybody. It's whoever. 
It's a lavish giver, a lavish measure of love, a lavish reach of that love, a lavish act, a lavish gift, and it's lavish in its availability. It continues that whoever believes in him, did you catch that? Believes in him. See, I'm used to whoever works hardest, whoever accomplishes the most, whoever has the flawless track record. No, it's believes. It's believes. I'm not minimizing belief. There's an account in Mark chapter nine. A man comes to Jesus. He says, will you heal my son? And Jesus says, well, anything's possible for those who believe. And the man looked inside of himself and he realized, I don't even have belief right now, Jesus. I don't even have that for you. You know what Jesus did? I'll take care of that. The man said, help my unbelief. Jesus said, got it. I mean, this is just the most lavishly imbalanced, lopsided exchange in history, isn't it? It's a lavish deal. I, uh, I'm, I, re, I was reminded of the year 2000. My dad's brother, Brian, came in from, Uncle Brian came in from Australia. And I remember he met Kara. And shortly after meeting Kara, he pulls me aside and he says, Nathan, are you serious about this girl? And I was like, well, I mean, I can get there. I'm, I'm getting there, yeah. He's like, the second you know that she is the one, marry her. I was like, okay, that's fine. But what's like, what's all the urgency about Uncle Brian? He's like, let me let you in on a little family secret. Us Harrison men, we don't get any better looking, Nathan. (laughs) He's like, you're near your prime and it's all downhill. All right, take this deal. It's a lavish deal. And John 3.16 ends with a lavish reward over a lavish time frame that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now I want you to see something that's happening over the course of this passage. It starts with past tense. For God so loved, past tense, the world that he gave, past tense, his one and only son, that whoever believes, now we're in present tense, present tense, whoever believes in him shall That's future tense, shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, we live in this culture that as we look around, we're used to the idea of criminal records, right? Once you hit 18, you've got a permanent record. Every single thing you've done wrong, it's on there if it's bad enough. You know what God said? Past tense, I did something before any of that that wipes out that record of wrongs. That you get a reward that no record of wrongs can erase. It's lavish in its reward. It's lavish in its time frame. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I got to be honest, I look at this passage and I look at our human interaction with this passage. And it's, it's just in my mind, it's the Mount Everest of scripture, isn't it? I mean, it's just the Mount Everest. And that might be the issue because you, you know about Mount Everest, don't you? 
You've written papers about Mount Everest. You get a picture in your mind about Mount Everest. You've maybe done research about Mount Everest, but few, if any of us, have ever been to Mount Everest. And so we can get this relationship with John 3.16 like we do with Mount Everest. It's all adjectives, right? You think of Mount Everest and you think it's majestic and it's beautiful and it's inspiring. It's lavish, right? Isn't this what we just did? John 3.16, adjectives. Lavish giver, lavish measure, lavish reach, lavish act, lavish gift, lavish availability. Lavish, 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 adjective. Well, can I show you something? Can we come back to 1 John chapter 3 for a moment? Read this. See what great love the Father has lavished. That's no adjective. That is a verb. That is a verb. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. You know what 1 John chapter 3, John 3, 16, Christmas is? Is an adjective lavish God who looked upon us and he said, I'm not satisfied with you knowing me through descriptions. I want to verb lavish you. That's Christmas. And the reason you've got to know this is because when this was written, when John's letter to the church was written, when his gospel of Jesus was written, it looked possibly like it does today in 2020. The people were perhaps looking around going, God, he seems so silent. I mean, where are you at? Have you not a couple times in 2020 thought, where's God? Like what just happened to this place? Where are you at, God? And yet the reminder of Christmas is this, that when life isn't lavish, he is. And he does. He's an adjective, lavish God who verb lavishes us. Now, once in a while you look around and there is just, there's a slice of life that just sums it up. And usually I search my own life to find a story or something from within our church or going on in our culture. But this one was found in the most unlikely of places. And I'll wrap up with this. It was found on Twitter, on social media, right? That, that polarizing thing that we've all maybe stared at a little too long this year on Twitter. And it's a guy I don't know. I just saw it as it was trending about a month and a half ago. A man named Rich Craven. He lives in Ireland. And let me just read you his description of one Christmas with the idea of lavish in mind. Now, keep in mind, Twitter gives you about 300-some characters. He replied to his own tweet. And so that's, that's why this is so long. The, the most stressed out I've ever been about Christmas was when I was 16 and I got my first ever job working at Marks and Spencer. If you don't know what Marks and Spencer is over in Europe, imagine Target and Whole, Mo Whole Foods get married and it's real fancy, okay? That's Marks and Spencer. He says, I worked at this Marks and Spencer in Dundrum, Ireland. As soon as I started... I kept hearing these myths about the Christmas Eve waste sale, where all the food that wasn't sold on the 24th was marked down 90%. 
Everyone I worked with kept telling me not to get anything beforehand because there was so much left that you could get your whole Christmas meal after the shop had closed on the 24th. Dad and I argued for weeks about it, going back and forth on whether to get a turkey beforehand. Eventually, we decided we were going to risk it. I was working until close on Christmas Eve anyway, so my dad said we might as well give it a go. Before I went into work that day, he told me, just at least try and get a turkey no matter what happens. I was the most stressed I've ever been working in retail, which is saying something. I worked in home and gifts, and so every chance I got, I would sneak over to foods and see how busy it was, how many turkeys were left. It was so busy, I was convinced that there'd be nothing left. Eventually, closing time rolls around, and all the staff clock out and wait for the sale to start. Now the scary part. I thought it was just whoever was working Christmas Eve that was able to go. But the entire workforce of Marks and Spencer has trickled in since closing and is waiting. I'm 16 years old, and I feel like my, my family's entire Christmas is riding on me. I swear to myself that no matter what happens, I'm going to come out of this with at least a turkey, no matter who I have to bludgeon to do it. Even if it means not having a job on the 26th. The main foods manager comes out and announces that we can go in and I stick my head down and charge. I don't go quite as far as to trample anyone, but I can't say I wouldn't have if it had come to it. I'm convinced it's going to be an all-out brawl. And instead, it's like something out of a Harry Potter Christmas scene or the end of Fantastic Mr. Fox. There is, listen to this word, so much food left. Everyone there could have taken two turkeys and there still would have been some left. I grab a turkey the size of an American toddler and then I'm just kind of at a loss. There really was so much left over. I ended up grabbing sausage and stuffing, potatoes, duck fat roasters and candied parsnips and carrots. It's European food. I don't know. I start to drift towards the registers and the manager asks me what I'm doing. I think I've taken too much. Like there's some spending limit I haven't heard of. Instead, he's asking me, why I'm wasting food, and throws pork crackling and sticky toffee pudding into my basket. I go to the register, expecting this to be the big reveal where it will actually end up costing me my entire month's pay. It costs 23 euro, or $28. Now, my only problem is that I have 16 kilograms or 35 pounds worth of food, and I've arranged to meet my dad two kilometers or one and a quarter miles away because parking there is extortion. There's also no point of ringing him and asking him to come closer because dad comes home from work every day and puts his phone in the drawer and that's where it stays until the next morning. Does this defeat the purpose of a cell phone? Yes, it does. Anyway, I schlep the bounty all the way to where we're supposed to meet and I see that he's literally pacing at 11 p.m. in December outside his car. When we went through the shopping bags in the car, I swear I got some inkling of what it must be like to win Wimbledon and then do that thing where you climb the stands and hug your parents. He was instantly like, Rich, this is too much. How much did you spend? The whole idea is that this was supposed to cost less. I showed him the receipt and we ended up driving home, blasting Springsteen the entire way. Yes, dad had to start prepping and cooking a turkey at 11.30 the night before, but the next day we ate like kings. Anyway, the food was great. And the best thing that was that dad made a big deal about me providing it as if I deserved credit. 
Anytime someone said they liked something, he'd give me an elbow in the ribs. By the end of dinner, I felt like I'd starred in Ocean's Eleven and we just took Vegas for all they had. And then there's this sentence to close. Anyway, this Christmas is probably gonna be nothing like that one in comparison, probably less. So it was nice to reminisce about a better one. Can you imagine that regardless of what Christmas looks like for you this year, that even if life doesn't look lavish, you have a heavenly father who is and does. That's what happened on Christmas. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, over and over and over, we are reminded that we can, we can know you through descriptions and we can know you through adjectives and we can describe what you're like. And yet we thank you. We thank you that you're a God who you looked upon us and you said, no, I'm not gonna stop there. I'm not gonna stop with adjectives. I don't want just lavish as an adjective. I want lavish as a verb. And so at Christmas, on a silent night, on a night when many looked around and maybe wondered where you were, you lavished. You lavished the whole world with the love of your son. And so, as we look back on that night and as we step forward into this night, this Christmas Eve and celebrate, celebrate Christmas tomorrow, would you give us new eyes to see the grand lavish story that you carried out? as you lavished us with love. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy, precious, and lavish name. In Jesus' name, amen.